And a one, and a two, and a third time's the charm in recording this. Hello, welcome to the Saddest Night Out podcast, episode 308. It's Tuesday, the 11th of October. It's just after 10 o'clock. Hello in particular to Mike and Jillian and Chris, because after yesterday's podcast, you were all kind enough to say hello to me. So hello back, and thank you very much for doing that. Two days in a row, let's see how long this can go. This is my third attempt at recording this, and I will not start again. This episode will be slightly longer. I'm still staying off the music. Let's see, let's just see if people find this on the SoundClouds and the iHeartRadio, whatever apps are out there. But I'm going to have just a little bit of a rant of some things that have crossed my mind lately. First of all, a theory that is based on absolute no, nothing. So it might be complete nonsense. But just go with me on this. So, this is very much inspired by an interview I heard on the Rock and Tours podcast, which is Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. And they were interviewing Graham Coxon who is, of course, from Blur, but he's recently joined Duran Duran for their most recent album. So, my theory, train of thought, whatever I can call it, is this. Before World War I, stay with me, stay with me. <laughs> back in the day, like way, way back in the day, when we were all most likely living pastoral lives, whatever village you were born in is the village you live in, you'd very much follow in your parents' footsteps. Whatever your parents' trade was, would be your trade and your children's trade and so on. We're talking about the days when parents would have like 13 kids because there's a good chance, statistically, three of them wouldn't make it. So the more you had, the better chance you had of some surviving to carry on your trade. Then there's the Industrial Revolution. People are moving to cities to achieve their dreams and so on. But largely, you just very much follow in the footsteps of what came before you. Then by the time the World Wars happened, after the World Wars, you've got a generation of kids for whom that link is somewhat severed. Maybe it was severed before that, but it definitely is now. Largely because of the fact that for a bunch of them, their parents, their dads at least, aren't coming back. So it's maybe a little less likely you're following in your parents' footsteps. And around this time, we have the birth or the invention or the unearthing, whatever you want to call it, of the teenager. This is a... a I don't know, a, a passing, a rite of passage, I think that's the term I'm looking for, that arguably didn't really exist before 1940s, 50s. And then Elvis was very much the cherry on top of this teenage era, the, this nascent teenage era. And from that time, you've got kids, you've got youth who are just seeking out pleasures that arguably their parents before them didn't really seek. And they're seeking out the new. I'm thinking primarily when it comes to music, pop culture, movies, whatever. You're looking for the newest thing. That is maybe what was the vibe back in the day. But especially now, there's so much more to consume based on back in the day. But you're looking for the new thing. Up until maybe like the 70s, 80s, you're still trying to innovate, trying to do the new thing. But then I think another schism is born. There's a new divide between the generation, maybe like the 70s, 80s or so, who were punk, post-punk, new wave, and still chasing the new. And then the generation that comes after them, who were raised on listening to their parents' records, their parents being a part of most likely that first generation of the teenager. 
What made me think of this in this particular instance is in that interview between Graham Coxon and Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. I think it's Gary Kemp who remarks on how when Graham Coxon was in Blur and Oasis was happening in the 90s, you could hear the strong influence of those artists, the strong influence that those, their parents' records had a strong influence on those artists. Hence Oasis very clearly being influenced by the Beatles and a lot of what Blur were doing influenced by the Birds. And you could just tell that these are artists who gorged on their parents' records and that informed the art that they're making. Whereas the generation before them, your Duran Durans, your Spandau Ballets, maybe your New Orders. At least the premise that was brought up in this interview, that generation wasn't listening to their parents' records. They were just trying to forge ahead, listening to the newest thing and being the newest thing. But then around the 90s, you get that generation that is raised on their parents' records. And then when you get New York in the 2000s, a lot of the characters in that area, in that era, were trying to chase the New York of the 70s. When you get to the late 2000s, early 2010s, just after like Blockhouse and Just East, you've got a lot of pop music that's chasing the 80s. In particular, what comes to mind is like, uh, you had Taylor Swift with her 1989, you had Haim, you had 1975. Calvin Harris, it was, what was it? It was respectable in the 80s, was that the title? Just around that era, the 80s nostalgia is very much in the air. I think, of course, you I can't help but think of James Murphy from LCD Sound, LCD Sound System, who put it best when he said, they're kids with little jackets and borrowed nostalgia for the unremembered 80s. Perhaps the crest of that wave was Stranger Things, which is just a Google search of the 80s turned into a TV show. Then you had a bunch of bands that, sat, that felt reminiscent of the 90s, the ones that most come to mind, uh, like Wolf Alice, Bieber Doobie, Again, all of this is based on just loose trains of thoughts I've had. I've got no data or anything empirical to base this on. It's just me following a train of thought. So you had a bunch of bands that feel reminiscent of the 90s. And now with the term indie sleaze entering the zeitgeist, this idea of reminiscing over the 2000s from the... Oh, and also you've got the movie version or documentary version of the book Meet Me in the Bathroom. There's another book called... Never Be Alone Again, which is about the Blockhouse era. Dance music being very popular in blogs, etc. And also photographers showing up in nightclubs and taking pictures. There's now, we're at the stage where the nostalgia is for an age that I remember living through. And we're, it's like I'm on the other side of the looking glass. We're also having nostalgia for an age that's more recorded than any of the previous ages. When... Bands in the 90s were aping the 60s. They didn't have Google. They didn't have Spotify. They didn't have it all there at your fingertips. It very much... Is it Ouroboros? I never quite know how to say that word. The idea of the snake eating its own tail. I feel like we're getting to a point where the snake is eating its tail and it's starting to catch up to where its mouth should be, like it's gone all the way around. I don't know where I was going with that whole train of thought, but it's just something that's been on my mind, especially now, because... 2022 definitely feels like the the year of the comeback. In particular, the comeback of the early 2000s, 2010s, and in particular, the year 2012, because we have got, just to name a few, Arctic Monkeys, the 1975, Taylor Swift, Sky Ferreira, Phoenix, Kylie Rae Jepsen, a whole bunch of artists who were very much... 
Again, that 80s vibe, but very much peaking in 2012, 2013. They all happen to be coming back this year as well. All that's missing is like Haim and The Neighbourhood and Lana Del Rey. And you've got a real full-blown reunion of 10 years ago happening now. Again, that idea of the snake eating its own tail. It's, there's not much tail left to eat. And of all of these comebacks, my favourite among them, my favourite comeback singles at least, it's a tie between Sky Ferreira, Don't Forget, who I'm really hoping will bring us an album this year. Because anyone who's a fan of Sky Ferreira knows that's been very delayed. But we got a single. We had new reason to believe the album might actually come this year. Time will tell. So it's a tie between Sky Ferreira's Don't Forget and Paramore's latest song, This Is Why. Oh my God, what a comeback. That band, they're really good. But they're good in a way where you almost forget just how good they are. Till you hear them again, you think, oh, well, wait a second. This is punching me in places I didn't know I could be punched. This Is Why by Paramore and Don't Forget by Sky Ferreira are my two favourite return singles so far this year. 1975 are coming back this Friday. I think Arctic Monkeys and Taylor Swift are coming back next Friday. Phoenix and Sky Ferreira this year. Paramore's next year. Carly Rae Jepsen, I think, is this month as well. It's all happening. And something else that crossed my mind in the light of all these comebacks is the number seven. Specifically, how many bands that I took an interest in in the 2000s, 2010s all happened to be on or around their seventh album. So, we've got Arctic Monkeys. They had whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not, if you're keeping count, that's number one. Number two, Favourite Worst Nightmare. Three, Humbug. Four, Suck It and See. Five, AM. Six, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. Seven, The Car, coming out this year. Next, you've got The Strokes, Is This It? One, Room and Fire. Two, First Impressions of Earth. Three, Angles. Four, Calm Down Machine. Five, The New Abnormal. Six, which came out in 2020. So there may be about you, album number seven. There's already rumours on the subreddit that apparently they're recording in, I think, Costa Rica with Rick Rubin, but take that with a pinch of salt. Then we've got The Killers. Hot Fuss, 1, Samstown, 2, Day and Age, 3, Battleborn, 4, Wonderful, Wonderful, 5, Imploding the Mirage, 6, Pleasure Machine, 7. Who else we got? We've got In- Interpol, Turn on the Bright Lights, 1, Antics, 2, I Love to Admire, 3, Interpol, 4, El Pintor, 5, Marauder, 6, The Other Side of Make Believe, which came out this year, number 7. Phoenix, United, 1, Alphabetical, 2, It's Never Been Like That, 3, Wolfgang Amadeus, Phoenix, 4, Bankrupt, 5, Tiamo, 6, Alpha Zulu, album number 7, coming out this year. And these are bands that all started at various points in, the, in this century. But they all seem to have somehow caught up with each other and are either on or about to release their seventh album. There's some bands that didn't quite fit the curve, so Queens of the Stone Age, or kind of, Queens of Stone Age 1, Rated R2, Songs of the Death 3, Lullabies to Paralyze 4, Era Vulgaris 5, Light Clockwork 6, Villains number 7, came out in 2017, Kings of Leon, Youth and Young Manhood 2, A Heartshake Heartbreak, no, <laughs> wow, Youth and Young Manhood 1, A Heartshake Heartbreak 2, Because of the Times 3, Only by the Night 4, Come Around Sundown 5, Mechanical Ball 6, Walls 7, when you see yourself eight. They, those, those guys have been busy. That's of all of the bands that made it big from the early 2000s. I think it's the Killers and Kings of Leon that really pu- 
put the pedal to the metal and just hustled and kept grinding out music and really climbed their way to headlining Glastonbury and touring arenas. Blink-182 actually are their most recent comeback because not only are they returning, they're returning as the original three-party band. Tom DeLonge is back with Travis and the bassist. Oh my goodness. How am I blanking on the name of the bassist? The one who survived cancer, I believe? Mark Hoppus. Sorry, Mark. I love you just as much, but the name just escaped me. But Tom DeLonge is back as a singer. So Matt Skiba, who was the singer for a while while Tom DeLonge was doing other things, the term aliens, I think kind of sums it up. He's back. They have just returned. They've got a new song coming out this Friday the 14th called Edging. They've just released a video kind of announcing their return. And it is exactly what you'd expect from a band who have an album called Enema of the State. The humour is definitely juvenile. And I kind of wouldn't have it any other way with that band. But they too. So I think they're way more than seven. Cheshire Cat 1, Dude Ranch 2, Enema of the State 3, Take Away Pants and Jacket 4, Blink-182 5, Neighbourhood 6, California 7, 9. It's number... <sighs> so their 8th album is called 9. Blink-182, everyone. But yeah, it's just weirdly album number 7. Then I started thinking about the most famous albums, number 7th albums in discographies. Arguably the most famous is The Beatles whose seventh album is called Revolver, which was kind of a big deal. My personal favourite, I think, at least top two, is Radiohead, whose seventh album is In Rainbows. That was, I think I did an episode about that in Among the 300-odd. Pretty big deal for me at the time. And perhaps the most recent number seven album that's really done a number on me is Beyonce's. Her, her seventh album came out this year. It's called Renaissance. It's been pretty widely praised, and I think deservedly so, deservedly so, because I really, really like it. It's on heavy rotation in the gym for me. And I think those are all of the random trains of thought that I have for today. Hey, two days in a row, let's try and keep this train rolling. I don't know if I have a question for today's episode. What's your favourite seventh album by an artist? That'll do. Let's, if anyone has an answer to that that isn't in Rainbows or Revolver, or renaissance i'll be very intrigued otherwise thank you for listening and i will see you at some point tomorrow yeah that'll do see you